resume the battle and uh, get back at it uh, for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray first. Father, we love you. We're so thankful that we get to be your children, that we get to serve you. We thank you, Lord, for this place, for these dear folks and their love for you and your amazing love for them. I pray that you would uh, remind us, Lord, of truths that would uh, encourage comfort and, Lord, especially that you would exhort us tonight in how secure we are in you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The key thought here for this chapter is, uh, of course, being in Christ Jesus. And uh, Paul here in this eighth chapter uh, relates nine things here, nine different facts to us about being in Christ. Uh, he talks about our union in Christ, verse 9 and 10. He talks about living in Christ, verse number 11. Uh, he talks about uh, being adopted by Christ in verse 15. Uh, being heirs in Christ in verse 17, suffering with him. Uh, and then uh, sustained by him in verse 26, chosen in Christ. Uh, and then the one we're going to look at tonight, kept by Christ, uh, which will be followed uh, uh, at the end of the chapter there by being more than conquerors through Christ uh, as well. So, there's, boy, there's so much in this, this chapter, but so much in this book. Amen. It's Amen. just an amazing and a wonderful book. No matter how much we read it, there's so much more. And uh, we can't exhaust it no matter how long uh, we study it or uh, apply it uh, to our life. Tonight, I want us to look beginning at verse number 31, Romans chapter 8. And verse number 31 uh, and uh, begins with a question, what shall we then say to these things? To what things? Well, the things that he mentioned just in the verses previous to us, and he mentioned five things there. I'll just mention them as well because it's not really a part of the message other than how it applies to us. Uh, it talks about the fact that God foreknew us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, and then he predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he called us to his great salvation. Uh, and then not only that, but he justified us as well. And he glorified us. And all of those things are past tense. God's sight, done, done deal. So what... Shall we say then concerning these realities, these five things are securities which rest their ultimate in, in God's certainties. God cannot change, he cannot lie, and that's how secure we are because he did foreknow us, because he did predestinate us, call us, justify us, and uh, glorify us. Again, that's not the message. So let's start here. Four questions dominate this next pass part of the passage here. Uh, and they come from this basic thought, if God be for us, and he is, by the way, God is for us. If God be for us, then number one, who shall oppose us? Notice again, uh, verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, that would be God, 
not with him, Jesus, also freely give us all things. So that, there's our protection. Uh, in verse 26, we find that the Holy Spirit is for us. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Holy Spirit is for us. Then here in verse 31, we just read that God is for us. And then in verse 34, we find out that the Son is for us. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So the Father is for us, the Spirit is for us, Jesus Christ is for us, the Trinity is for us, God is for us. So that adds up then to a great, should be a great conviction of security. Sometimes I speak with people and they say, you Baptist, you're just proud about, and you think that you know that you're going to heaven. No, we don't think that we know. We know that we know. Not because of us, but because of what Christ is and who he is and the fact that he is God and he's given us these promises. God is for us. And I want to encourage you with these promises tonight because tomorrow we've got to go back to war again. And we've got to face our enemy, uh, and we've got to prepare ourselves, uh, I believe, with all of my heart, that we are in a great spiritual warfare for the United States of America. And, of course, that warfare begins, and its attack begins on our families. And uh, then it comes right down to you and I, does it not? To each of us as individuals. And so we need to be encouraged, we need to be ready to fight and to stand as well. So the Holy Spirit, we're told here in verse 32, is for us as our intercessor to help our infirmities. The Father is for us in working all things together for good. And the Son is for us as our intercessor there at the right hand of God uh, because these things are true. The question is, who can be against us? Are you listening? Amen. If you'll let this great truth, I think, sink in tonight, we can become not only unconquerable, but more than conquerors. I don't have time to preach on it tonight, but if you take those things that, that towards the end of the chapter that Paul talks about, uh, the devil uses against us trials, tribulations, and all those sorts of things, famine. To be a more than conqueror is to take each of those individual things and to use them to defeat Satan that he was trying to defeat us with. Anyway, that's not the sermon here either. So God is for us. That means sometimes, I mean all the time, but whenever we are sick, God is for us when we are sick. God is for us in our times of weakness. God is for us in moments of depression. God is for us even when we doubt. God doesn't change his mind towards us. There is no time, there is no place, and there is no condition in which God is not for us who are in Christ Jesus. So there's, unfortunately, there really then is no excuse for us to be defeated. It doesn't matter who our adversary is, doesn't matter what our adversity is. The real question is not who's against us. 
The real question is, who is for us? And God is for us. Now, how do we know that God is for us? Well, verse 32 is pretty plain there. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, God, not with Jesus, also freely give us all things? So the obvious evidence of, being, of God being for us then is the showing of his love to us. Did Christ not go to Calvary for us? He did indeed. And so what God has already done then needs to be proof to us of what he will continue to do. And if God gave us his only son, Christ, to redeem us from our sins while we were sinful, it is much more true that in Christ he will give us all things necessary to keep us now that we are his children. So the precedent is in uh, the... the, uh, Emphasis here is in what he gave. Having given us Christ in crucifixion for our sins, he will surely give us who are in Christ all the necessary means of grace for our security and for our protection. Uh, Secondly, if God is for us, the next question is in verse 33, who shall accuse us? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So here's our perfection. It is God that justifieth. And this expression uh, here has been gathered, as I understand it, out of legal language. Lay anything to the charge of. That means to be arraigned, as in a court. Like the officer of the court would arraign a person before the judge. So in this case, it's an accusation before God. It might be an accusation brought by Satan uh, in an attempt to discredit the effectiveness of the salvation that he has given to us. Or it might be an accusation brought by man to, uh, in an attempt to discredit our Christianity. But don't miss this. Paul's argument is this, that no one can successfully accuse a Christian. Because we are in God's sight justified, just as if we had never sinned. Uh, And because of who is being accused here, it is really an an accusation, we're told in the verse there, against God's elect. And such an accusation, it really is no, no consequence for you and I because of our position in Christ. As God's elect... Again, he already foreknew who we were. He knew what a dirty, rotten scum we were. And yet, in spite of that, he predestinated us to one day be conformed to his image. And then he called us and justified us and glorified us. And God already knew all of that from beginning to end. God is never shocked. God is never surprised. And then the second reason no one can successfully accuse a Christian is because of the one before whom the accusation is made. It's made before God, made before our Father. But if God is the judge, he is also the justifier. God has already decided in our favor. God has already put us on his side and declared us to be on his side and declared him to be himself to be for us. Declared us just. 
So the decision for us is both final, and thank God it is irrevocable Amen. as well. The position of the believer uh, is uh, fundamentally secured and established. No one can accuse us. Well, there's a third question that's brought up here uh, in verse 34. If God be for us, who shall condemn us? Look at verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So here's our vindication. The case of the Christian cannot be reopened, nor can a further charge of condemnation be brought before the tribunal. Amen. Look at the beginning verse. Again, our text that we read there at the beginning. There is therefore how much class? No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's none. God has already ruled in our favor. And that ruling from God not only covered all our past sins. How many of your sins were future when Christ went to Calvary? Ah, they were all future. God also covered all of those. And he gives us here in verse 34 four reasons for the finality of the believer's vindication or security here. Uh, on all four of these are found in the work of Christ. I want you to hear this now. All four of our vindications are found in the work of Christ. So before any flaw can be found in our position in Christ, a flaw, a flaw would have to be found in the person of Christ. That's impossible. Or a flaw would have to be found in the work of Christ. And that's impossible as well. Uh, he gives us four of them here. First of all, it is Christ that died. Amen. That was, Christ's death was both final and it was sufficient. Hebrews over and over again tells us about the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Uh, it was accepted by God as having met every requirement and condition. Then he mentions also in verse 34 there, the resurrection. Yea, rather, that is risen again. So Christ's resurrection was the proof of the sufficiency. It was the proof of the efficiency of his death to pay for my sin and for your sin. And Christ's resurrection was also the visible and the historical evidence of our justification. That's important because we often wonder, how do I know whether God really justified me? How does God really see me as though I had never sinned? The proof is in the fact that he's alive. If God would not have accepted that to justify me, he'd still be in a tomb someplace. But he's not. He's risen and at the right hand of the Father. That's what he mentions next. His ascension. Uh, in the third part of verse 34, the who is even at the right hand of God. God's right hand is a place of authority in which Christ exercises himself in our behalf. He's not in a tomb. He's not still on a cross somewhere. He is on the throne with God the Father. And then the last part of verse 34, who also maketh intercession for us. Uh, and that duplicates what was said about the ministry of the Holy Spirit back in verse number 27. The Holy Spirit who is in us makes intercession for us from earth. And while Christ, of course, who is in heaven, makes intercession for us, uh, right there at the right hand of God. Amen. Talk about a dynamic duo. Amen. Uh, and they're on our behalf as well. 
Now what shall we say to these things? Verse 31, that's a question that every one of us need to answer here tonight. If God the Father is forth, if God the Holy Spirit is forth, if God the Son is forth, who shall oppose us? I'm protected. Uh, who shall accuse us in Christ? I'm perfect. I've been justified. Uh, who shall condemn us? I'm vindicated by Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, intercession. Amen. You know what? I think we're secure in Christ. But he's got another question yet. Still one more question. If God be for us, who shall separate us? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Here's our security. Here's our security. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer follows and joins the previous three answers to the effect that since there is no successful opposition... And since there is no just accusation, and since there is no true condemnation, neither can there be any effectual separation. Amen. So we add up all these spiritual facts, and we have a fourfold assurance of Christ's security. And uh, he gives us three things here in verse 35. First of all, who is it that's attempting to separate us from the love of Christ? Well, we know that it's the devil. It's the devil. It's Satan who tries to oppose us. It's Satan who tries to accuse us. It's Satan who tries to condemn us. And it's Satan who tries to separate us. Right. What is he attempting to separate us from? He's trying to separate us from the love of Christ. Now, wait a minute. Not your love for Christ. He's trying to separate us from Christ's love for you. Another thing that's impossible. The bond that binds and secures you and I as believers in Christ is not only a bond of life when he gave us a new birth, but it is also a bond of love. His love for us. And that love was tested when he went to the cross and died in our place. It is that love that will never yield to the oppressions and the pressures uh, of life. God cannot stop loving you. Right. The next time Satan tries to tell you other words, you just, you just let him know. He cannot. It is impossible for God to stop loving you. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So our security is not based on our feelings. Aren't all you melancholies happy for that? Our feelings are not based our, our security is not based on our behavior. Aren't we glad for that as well? So here in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, it's clearly declared that our security is in an inseparable bond to the love of Christ. His love for us. Now, again, not our love for him, his love for us. So as a youper, that's somebody from the Upper Peninsula, I would just say, yeah, <laughs> So let us take new courage and let us have new assurance from this great truth and enter into a life's arena tomorrow. If we go back to duke it out, 
in a world that is lost and dying and needs Christ, determined to be and conduct ourselves like the victorious people God intends us to be. If God be for us, and he is, who shall oppose us? And the answer is no one. No one. Christ is our protection. If God be for us, who shall accuse us? No one. No one. Christ is our perfection. If God be for us, who shall condemn us? No one. Because God is our vindication. Christ is our vindication. And if God be for us, who shall separate us? No one. No one. Christ is our security. Yes, sir. Amen.